Hey there, film fans. I am Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. Yeah, you know what? That's right. That's exactly right. People, we make, truth. we make this a drinking game. That's what we do to, to avoid lazy negativity where we just try to shit on movies and be those stuffy negative podcasts. Every single time we say something negative, you're going to hear a sound that goes like this. <laughs> that sound means we're drinking, people, and I hope you drink along with us But we talk yep. about this movie. Yeah. So pour yourselves a glass, and this is about the size of this movie. Yeah, you got the big mug. <laughs> yeah, I got it's the big, big mug. Movie. It's a big movie. It's, it's a big, big movie, and we've been waiting a long time. That's why people true. True We're story. talking about chapter one, the first part of Dude, second chapter coming in two years. Get yeah. stoked. I love that he put chapter one on it before, like, you know, they didn't go back and do it like Star Wars did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he, was, he was confident. Yeah. Uh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what we're talking about, people. We're talking about Dune. So, John, shout Everybody's our people out so we, can, so we can get into this. <laughs> All right. We have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barroso. The handle on Instagram, if you would like to give that gentleman a follow, is Cbarroso Bar 2019. That is C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And if you're digging the music on this episode and every single episode, head on over to SoundCloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist, and you can download all that music for free. That is provided by the artist Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys, we've been anticipating this we've been for talking about years. Be- That's before right. we start, I just realized I'm, I'm now neighbors with Carlos again. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. 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 Dave's going to do the next yeah. beer run. <laughs> Carlos, yeah, I hope you still listen to this show, Carlos. Because yeah, right. um, uh, <laughs> this, this Narragansett I have is, you know, pretty. it's okay. It's okay. But, you know. <laughs> There's men around. He criticizes beer. Oh my god, Dave! Come right. on, I'm Dave. I'm so sorry we can't do Spice World for you today. All right, so that we have to move on to, to yeah, Dune well, here. Well, Jesus yeah, we're doing the sequel yeah. instead. Yeah, that's uh, that was my favorite meme from this week. <laughs> Spice World is the prequel to Dune. Sure. sure if you haven't sure, seen sure. the film Just yet. Sure you won't everyone get that joke. Knows but yeah, we're referring to the movie Spice World, starring that- the artist. Artists, the Spice Girls. Yes, that's right. They would uh, For all the listeners out there who would like to join me in uh, buzzing my two co-hosts here for having <laughs> loved Dude. and seen that movie. Wait, I think fuck? one of them even fucking owned it. I owned I'm it. Gonna... What, oh, and I'll own God. that. I owned. I owned the movie. I owned all their albums. I once all got right. an actual complaint in a comedy club I worked in for playing too much of it. <laughs> Wait, that you can't wow. nowadays. Hardcore nowadays fan. you can't yeah. play too much Spice World. Also. I saw this at my grandma's house. That's where I remember seeing it. And you know what? She loved it. So fuck you, John. That's what I say <laughs> oh to you. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> That's yes, right. No, no, no. no, you're right. It could, it's probably a great movie. I've never seen then, it. I don't mean to judge it. I'm kidding. Of course it's not. What is wrong with you guys? After we finished the <laughs> after we finished the movie, we had to after we finished Spice World, we had to put the VHS tape into the rewinding machine so that we could oh, rewind yes. it before we returned it. To no, the after, you finish Spice, really yeah, after you finish Spice, yeah, after you after you finish Spice World, like the phone rings, you pick it up, and it's like Sega, Sega. <laughs> Dave, Dave, this movie, this movie is not fresh in our head. You can't just go ahead and quote their most famous song. Can't do it. Oh my god! All right, we're talking about Dune. So we're a week into this. It's already been greenlit. It did not get green. It had not been greenlit when the film came out to a worldwide release. I think October twenty (laughs) second. Yeah, they were nervous about this one. Um, This very famous. So we've been talking about this. We've been teasing it for over a year because Mm. as soon as the shutdown happened, they delayed Dune and a lot of other films like Tenet, our favorite, 
We had our tenant quota for the episode. <laughs> Um, Haven't heard that in a while. They delayed the movies because they wanted the theatrical run. And then Warner Brothers said, you know what? We have an idea. HBO Max really wants followers. Let's come up with a partnership and we'll release every single movie, every single Warner Brothers movie, like this happened to Myrtle Kombat, as you may remember, In the Heights, um, a lot of other films. We're going to release them in the theaters and on HBO Max on the same day. And Denny Villeneuve pulled a politician and said, (laughs) fuck fuck you you. publicly (laughs) to everybody in the world. The day that the announcement came out, he said, I do not co-sign this. I'm going to fight this. I want Dune in the theaters and theaters only. Fuck you, Warner. I want a sequel. And it was like, whoa. Obviously, it was going to affect people yeah. with a financial stake in the film. Uh, Timothée Chalamet, who I imagine has a financial stake in at least the next one, um, was surprisingly <laughs> silent. Good boy. Good boy, Timmy. Good boy, Timmy. <laughs> but how did, how did this do? Well, guess what? HBO Max, knowing that they are so far losing the streaming wars to Disney and to Netflix and hopefully not Apple, but their numbers are not living up to scratch, even though they have the Emmys and they have all that kind of stuff. They are not releasing their numbers. We do not know how it's doing on HBO Max, but 40 million US dollars, a little bit less than they wanted. But internationally, we're up around 250 right now. It's actually they they predicted they predicted 31. Well, they predicted like the week of, but you know, a long time ago, it was like 50 to 70. And and then as as the this demographic, they were like, uh oh, (laughs) how does Venom make 90 million dollars? Halloween Kills makes 50 million in its opening weekend and Dune. They were like, not a chance. So, <laughs> yeah. And this is a movie that stars Timothee Chalamet, Academy Award nominee, who are friends at the Matt and Mark movie show. We're like, where did this guy come from? And it's like, where have you been for the last four years, people? Rebecca Matt Ferguson. Mark. Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> what was Oscar. what was his uh, what was his Oscar for? Call me by your name. Call me by your name. Oh, yeah, cool. He, did, he didn't win. He didn't win. He didn't he, win. And he was. He and it was the same. It was the same year as Lady Bird, but she had a small role in. But mm. it was like this big up and coming, just boom. And pretty quickly he was Little in, Women you know, last year. Beautiful, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful oh, yeah. boy. And then Little Women. He was in The King on Netflix, which a lot of people saw. And he's going to be fucking Wonka. So there you go. He's also with Interstellar. The Interstellar, the of course. Interstellar? Homeland. What? No way. So we know his career. Yeah, he's the kid in Interstellar. I had no idea. He's Casey Affleck. Really awesome. Okay, guys, fuck. <laughs> this movie, this movie, which is directed by Denis Villeneuve, who did Prisoners, and he did... Um, Arrival and Sicario is my favorite of his. I'll say that up front. The second mm. Sicario, not my favorite. Blade Runner Nobody's 2049. Nobody's favorite. <laughs> yep, Dave. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049. Um, <laughs> I'm missing something in there along the way, but he he's done a lot of big, big, big shit. Denis Villeneuve. You have Timothee Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, uh, I'm not sure if I missed anybody, but if you've seen the poster, you're just like, whoa, it's like a fucking Wes Anderson movie with star power, people. Yeah. And, and half of those, half of those are in it for like five minutes. <laughs> Good. Yeah. But in the second one. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, and Charlotte, did I say Charlotte Rampling? Charlotte Rampling was awesome in this. Uh, so yeah. anyway, crazy amount of star power. This is, of course, based on Dune, the Frank Herbert novel. This is a remake of sorts since you have the 1984 David Lynch film i don't know what john's mm-hmm. shaking his head about but i don't know very I'm loud ready. motorcycle sorry i thought you could hear it, it was, it was yeah no no you couldn't hear it although you're wearing an american shirt with a blurred background so it sounded like you're at the local QAnon rally oh yeah cool <laughs> uh <laughs> that's gonna I, th- that's local gonna put our search QAnon. up in google i'm sure for the wrong crowd let's get it jim caviezel <laughs> come on let's do it yeah come at us jim all right <gasps> i drove past i drove past city hall the other day here in la and there was an anti-fax uh 
protests going on and there were like five really angry fucking rednecks <laughs> out front. Like, woo, fuck yeah. It was so hilarious, dude. That's it's like the a best South Park rally. The, the best part oh. about LA versus New York is there are just no rednecks in New York. It just doesn't happen, oh. but... In LA, you got a lot of people that look like they're right out of southern Tennessee. Um, we got some okay. Nazis once, but they went right up the top of Manhattan where you couldn't find them and, and staged a little rally there and then ran away. Interesting. Uh, fuck you, Nazis. Good, good, yeah. good, good. Cool. Um, anything else in the setup before I read the storyline and we get into this? No, let's nah, do it. because I'm sure we'll organically kind of talk. The, oh, the yeah. making of is pretty crazy. It just took a long time. Anyway, keep going. Keep so, going. John's suggestion is that we will or- organically have a perfect amazing insightful conversation i can't fucking wait here is the storyline this is this is not the short description on imdb this is on the storyline section this was submitted by warner brothers or so they claim a mythic and emotionally charged hero's journey this is what happens when the studio gets to decide the fucking tagline for this (laughs) yeah a mythic and emotionally charged hero's journey dune tells the story of paul atreides a brilliant is he brilliant? Did they make that clear in the movie? A yeah, brilliant yeah. and yeah. gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding who must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family <laughs> and his people as malevolent forces explode into this conflict is, over so, the planet. It's a fucking Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> as malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planets, this is the dangerous ones, the new one, the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, sand, a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential. Sand. Only those yeah. who can conquer their fear will survive. Taglines. Dude, Beyond get... fear, destiny if awaits. It, if, it, if it's sand, go to any Australian beach for about six hours. Your ass crack is loaded. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, dude. Get out of here with your fucking ass crack. All right, wait. Read the, let's read. Let's read the other IMDb little blurb real fast for a very, okay. a very simple setup. <laughs> yeah. Ready? A feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. Yeah, but the story's not about that. The story's about him. It's about his destiny, it is, right? It is. Isn't this but fucking Star Wars meets to, that's like to, fucking? That's know. to get you in. Like that's that's. That is a, that's a better setup, I think, because it, it leaves a little bit. Yeah, I mean, both mm. both say something, and but but I'm glad you said that. We're already kind of starting to talk about yeah. this because I do. Uh, just before we go into this, I do yeah, want to yeah. ask, how did you watch this? Oh, you yeah, sure. I knew you were going to ask this because I have no <laughs> doubt that Dave uh, beat me to going to see it in a kick-ass either IMAX or you know expanded format IMAX or uh, Dolby Atmos. What'd you see it in IMAX? IMAX. I saw it in, again, regular digital, the monster cool. regular yeah. digital of number one theater here at the Grove at AMC. Um, but you know what? I think I'm going to go see it in Dolby or IMAX because if anything deserved it, you know, it's a movie like this for sure. How did it sound, Dave? How did it look? How did it sound? Holy fuck, dude. Holy fuck. I mean, it yeah, great I, in mind, like, I could tell I, could, yeah. I was yeah. missing in the massive Yeah, I book. mean, when he, when he used like the voice on her at one point, like because... Uh, I had yeah. almost, I'd literally jumped out of my seat. Oh, yeah. um, it was cranked. It had, like, it was all there, basically. It's, it's, it's hard to put into too much words without ruining it, but it'll scare the shit out of you when it happens in a theater, like in a, yeah. in a full rig theater. Um, I will say, though, a lot of aspect ratio changing again. There's not that much yeah, extra in the IMAX, to be honest. You w- if you go and see it in Dolby Cinema, you'll probably have a better experience because the sound mix for this is fucking phenomenal. 
and the IMAX, yeah. I, I did actually find the uh, constantly changing aspect ratio a little distracting at the beginning. Probably because I was fucking looking for it because I'm on a mission about yeah, that. I'm gonna, I don't know if it distracted a lot yeah. of other people. But... Now we're thinking about it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Han, Han Zimmer's score, as John pointed out, of course, immediately after seeing this movie. Oh, <laughs> dude. How, I mean, how many people Man, do you shy. think already have that soundtrack <laughs> as they're getting busy thing? Do it. You know what? <laughs> I have been listening to it. He also, they did something real cool. We're not really talking about the movie yet, folks, but sorry, since, since yeah. we're talking about Hans for just a second. He, uh, if you like to follow him and you know anything about the way he writes music, he basically, he likes to uh, make new synths and try to create all his new, um, program all of his new electronic equipment each time he does a new film. He doesn't save anything. And the way he starts his process by doing that is by just making basically a, a music journal. So and then he kind of starts writing out of the journal. He'll kind of start sharing the new music with Chris Nolan or, or Denis, whoever he's working with. And he released not only onto Spotify and all the sources, not only the official soundtrack, he released his his digital music journal as well. And the music journal is beautiful and awesome. Mm. There's a lot of music that just didn't make it into the film, but it's kind of cool just to see that's, where he was coming from. Spotify? The themes and sounds. Yeah, uh, really cool. Really cool. That's going to drive up their membership. <laughs> yeah it's pretty fucking awesome anyway Sp- so sponsored by spotify i think he did a good movie. job yeah i think he did a great job it didn't sound like uh you know it still sounds like hans zimmer but you don't feel like chris nolan just or, you know you don't feel like you're sitting in a chris nolan movie uh i'm not picking on hans at all i think some people just associate him directly with christopher nolan <laughs> this felt like it uh this felt like a different plan i mean you know? he does good felt work like why wouldn't the best people want him lion king for me yeah. personally but lion you know, king, dude. yeah no, well no, i mean awesome. pirates yeah. Uh, I was trying to find though really quickly because the guy who runs, um, damn, the uh, d- the guy who's been doing uh, Denise mixing his sound mixing, he did it for twenty forty nine Blade Runner and he did it for Dune as well. I was trying to get that that man's name just because holy crap, um, they they are yeah. just doing some absolutely incredible work that, and doing some guy, weird yeah. stuff with the way they design. There's some effects in here like the uh, Denise did not want Dune to sound like. Um, they weren't trying to make up these crazy brand new programmable sounds. I don't know if you guys caught it, but just a real classic element, just as a perfect example, the weird uh, flying machines, they're kind of like helicopters, kind of like planes that they use mm-hmm. on planet Dune. Um, the Thropters. The, the guy was talking about like how he wanted to mix this and he was trying to make all these weird sounds and he, and he was like, it should just sound like a lawnmower. So those are lawnmowers. <laughs> those are push lawnmower sounds that they used for there. Cool. So he was trying to like <laughs> ground it in different ways that... I don't know, just really yeah. weird effect. I mean, of, uh, it's it's not often it's worth going to see a film just for the sound. I mean, like, yeah. I mean this and, is but one, the, right? again, that is that is one aspect of it. There's so many other things. Yeah. yeah Let's get into who's it, Dave. The, who's read gonna, the book? Who's read the book? I've I've read the book. Books. There are a few there are there There's are several. five of them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed reading this. And I had one of those magic things happen where I think when I read the book for the first time a few years ago um very soon after finishing it i read a little interview in variety about how one of my favorite directors denis villeneuve just turned down directing the next bond so that he could direct dune and i was like oh my god i was so wow. excited it like just landed wow. perfectly you know what that, really t- that turned really out okay work. that turned, turned out, out okay, okay. Yeah, i will yeah. i will say if if, if this dry like if this drives up book sales of that series great of course of course yeah, yeah first of all like this, is, this is sci-fi. How like about the, how about the eighty-four Lynch movie? Else. Last setup. Last setup. Who's, has anybody seen the eighty-four Lynch? Yeah, 
Definitely. Yeah. And you know what? Just a real tragedy. So we don't have to keep talking about it. And anyone who has brought that movie up in the past several weeks or months or whatever, if you've been thinking about it, just because David Lynch is the fucking man and maybe you wanted to watch some other renditions of Dune. There's a really good, not really good. There's there's an OK miniseries that was made and there's the famous, infamous, notorious theatrical cut of David Lynch's Dune. That is a real tragedy because uh, there is an enormous amount of footage that was cut out of that. There is a director's cut that's like four hours long. Yeah, that, you know this is a huge gigantic. It was one of those cases where they Peter Jackson. Yeah, had tried one of those to cases where they sacked the movie. director. They sacked the yeah. director and finished the film without him. Basically, and he cut basically, it down to, yeah, they, it almost yeah. got down to fire, and he he refused to have his name attached to it if they yeah. released that cut. So he did still direct the entire fucking thing and oversee his cut, and then they had some huge differences. So anyway, don't watch that theatrical cut of David Lynch's Dune. It's just a real shame. There's still some cool moments, but it's mm. not his movie. It's not. It's not the book. I did have some problems with how they portrayed Paul in that one, but. Yeah, that's that's here or there. It's yeah, it's classic still, Kyle MacLachlan still, uh, from yeah, it's Twin still, Peaks. Yeah, it's something you've never in, seen uh, before. Portlandia. But again, yeah, if, if we reference the books, we reference that movie. Like, if you do any search for uh, books unadaptable for film, Dune sits around number three on almost every list you find. What so are this the, is like this curiosity. is this is <laughs> I hadn't heard of some of the other ones. I was just the brothers Karamazov. But but, yeah. <laughs> but this is this is uh, I didn't actually I was just looking to see where it sat on the list I didn't look at the other ones around it but it's um like this is known as one of the most unadaptable books ever and I want to talk about why but first I want to hear I want to mm. hear just let's just straight up let's just go around the horn uh and just say what our general thoughts were first because I've been dying to hear what you guys thought D- Dave who is familiar with it Jeff who was totally unfamiliar with it out of just you know, maybe his friends like talking to him about it, like me or something. Um, what did you guys think just as cold moviegoers? Because I'm not gonna lie, all of my opinions have to do with the fact that this is a very, this book is told in a very interesting way. And uh, I've had a few interesting conversations with some film friends here at USC who have and have not read the book. And I think the opinions vary. And I, I'm just curious to hear what you guys think. And then we'll have a deeper conversation. Jeff, get in there. Don't don't you fucking nod at Dave. What do you Come mean on, me? I'm out of you. I do the I do the setup so that I can punt to you in the actual discussion. <laughs> yeah, you're in the hot seat now, right? Um, I would say on the whole, I really liked the experience of seeing the film and I liked watching it, and it was interesting, and a lot of it was really fascinating. And I left the theater not knowing if it would actually leave a mark long term. Yeah. But I, I loved the I loved the two and a half hours that I was in the seats. I liked the journey. I liked the ideas that were presented. But I, as of even now, I'm, it was a couple of days since I've seen it. I'm kind of like, can I move on? Like you know, I just I don't know. Yeah, Dave. Well, as we know, I'm I'm a sci-fi nerd, absolute sci-fi nerd. Like I'm in all in for all everything sci-fi. But again, a lot of modern sci-fi tends to be a little campy or a little you know, one that can't rely on comedy or something like that. This is sci-fi like we've never really seen done before it was like gritty and grounded there's nothing campy there um as far as i'm concerned i loved what they did with this the world building was amazing i having not read the books i went in cold and i didn't Mm. did not suffer for it it guided me right the way through everything i needed to know and i cannot wait for the second one i want to see more of that sandworm action sandworms are cool the sandworms are cool yeah. I, I thought this was a phenomenal effort and well worth the wait. Nice. I think I do too, man. I um I to- I'm gonna second that completely. Uh I was so my brother and I are 
are big fans of of this work and we both are, are really just pretentious with our sci-fi just in general and we are huge what? huge huge fans shocking huge 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 fans of blade runner 2049 uh yeah that was cool. that was give cool. it up for the original blade runner i know that changed a lot of people uh they got a lot of people in that generation filmmaking wise uh that community into films ridley scott mm. did something really unique uh but that first one has never spoken to me as deeply because i'm a huge fan of the philip k dick novel uh do androids dream of electric sheep that mm. blade runner is based on i did love denise uh take on it it's not the same story but you know it's based on the same subject matter but the way he approached tonally the way he grounded everything i mean arrival was the first time i consciously saw anything made by him and i had no idea there, when i walked into arrival i had no idea what dude, i was in for it was yeah. you and me right did I you and so. I see that together? Did I see that? I saw it with you. Anyway, I saw that a yeah. few times in the theater, but my God, um, he is a, a director and we can maybe talk a little bit about his past, but like a lot of filmmakers um, who come from a, dare I say it, dirty word, auteur kind of background, because he doesn't write his own scripts, but he has had the camera in his hand for a large part of his early training. And when he got bigger and bigger budgets, even with his his first couple features up in Canada, um, he continued taking risks and unlike a lot of uh, a lot of filmmakers, I meant to say, he got bigger and bigger budgets. And I don't think he got more and more commercial. I don't think he got eaten up by the commercial machine. And I think this is a real no. testament to it. He even said in an interview after Blade Runner uh, 2049, it didn't tank by any means, but it did not hit it out of the park. It did not make as much money as they wanted. Mm. Critics liked it. Critics, some critics didn't like it, but a lot of critics did like it. And a lot of hardcore sci-fi fans and Philip K. Dick fans thought it was wonderful. Uh, a lot of his fans thought it was really great. But he went on record in an interview literally saying that he was disappointed with the turnout, that he really thought he had made a more commercially accessible film. So he mm. was going to try to make Dune more accessible. Well, um, it's, it's funny. I will tell you, in my screening, like all the way through the trailers, everyone's sitting there. This theater was packed, by the way. Mine too. Like, we had a good uh, and yeah, and uh, so I, I'm sitting there and everyone's talking and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be like, we're back to rowdy cinema. Oh, no. That first note hit, mm-hmm. yeah. silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Hans two hours like, and boom. 40 minutes. Boom. Silence. Yeah, yeah. Like nobody yeah. said it. One, one guy said a word down here and I, I think it was to do with the film. Um, and he, I guess he just couldn't help himself. But like everyone was just enraptured. And these are people who are standing in the queue talking about, what this movie is and they had no fucking idea like they're, yeah. they're talking about oh it's this planet called dune and, and like they come to invade it and i'm like dude you've watched the trailer that's that's it you're in for a good time and they were yeah. they were they it got it held everyone yes so and i think yeah he's, I, I think it's i think yeah it's it's a testament to uh to take a a the scale and production value of this movie is is enormous. You know, it's as, it's as yeah. big as it gets. It's right up there with all the other uh, gigantic uh, movies. Um, but he he took a an alter style to it. I, I'm just I don't know how else to say it. There are a lot of shots. Just as a very you know simple example, there are a lot of shots that are are one you know one take. He set he likes to set his camera up in the right spot and try not to move. He doesn't get shameless you know amounts of coverage. Even with the big special effects, there are some explosion scenes in some one of the bigger sequences in this movie, and the camera is parked where it needs to be in a few different angles. There are there are several scenes that are very long walk and talks that are played out. He he it doesn't feel like he is trying to 
cut, 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 and keep people on the edge of their seats with that kind of style that is so used so often in these big productions. You feel like you're almost, I'm not going to say art house, but you feel like you are watching an artistic director approach a $200 million budget movie. And mm. I, I well, thought that was the, really refreshing. The, yeah, the impression I get is, because uh, in a lot, of, a lot of sci-fi, you see people making a choice for the sake of making a choice or for a spectacle or something like that. He makes a choice for a reason. Like he, yeah. nothing, there's nothing he does that isn't relevant to the story or the environment or everything that he's built. It like, he has control over everything and he's just working all those strings, dangling those fingers. And it's, it's masterful. Like he is in control of everything and he never takes it too far. Yeah. Like you and was, I, talk, I think we said, Dave, you talked about it when we were talking about, we talked about Blade Runner. No, we, I guess we talked about Arrival on here. I can't remember if we talked yeah. about Blade Runner 2492, but you made a comment at one point about how detail oriented mm. he is and how it came off that way and how he really is invested in all these things. And I just, yeah. it just sounds like from a, they bring him up quite often on the team Deacons podcast. Cause <laughs> they've collaborated with him more than once. Yeah. And they, they, they really, really love him and the way he works. And from the very beginning, from the inception, when he starts working together with his department heads, they always bring up this, this concept that he talks about how for the first few months that he likes to do what they just call dreaming where they just sit around in a room and anything goes, they just talk about how they were going to approach making this movie. And it's so, it's so cool to know that someone at that level allows schedules in and allows people at that, with that skill set and that amount of experience to just sit around and talk with no rules about how yeah. they could most effectively tell this story and then have the discipline to get into the minutiae and make something mm. that is that detail well, oriented. I mean, all the good ones collaborate. I mean, I would, I, you've got like, I hats off to Joe Walker, the editor of this. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Um, can you imagine that phone call? It's like, you fucking want me to edit what? <laughs> and it, like, <laughs> you know what's coming. It's, it's going to be a long movie. There's going to be a lot of like to keep that, like to keep everyone enraptured like he yeah. did. Like that was some masterful editing as well. Like Good. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that gets a nomination for editing. Also sure. for sound mixing, of course. Yeah. Like that's coming. Sci-fi <laughs> always goes in for those. But this, I feel like this is just going to wipe the floor with anything. Yeah. Um, Greg Fraser. Let me ask. Uh, Greg Fraser. Um, an, an Aussie on the lens. Ah. An Aussie on yes. the lens. Yeah. Yes. He also excellent, shot Rogue One. Word. So he's known for gritty sci-fi. Yeah. So I feel like he no was joke. like, yeah, no, we're uh, good. He's didn't he scared. shoot uh dave i sent his team deacons podcast to, or i was mm. like dude him didn't he shoot yeah. uh, a lot of mandalorian too so he's working I with think so yeah the cg backgrounds and stuff but uh, again yeah, he's having all the fun super talented all right so let me ask the big picture question because i had a really excellent conversation the other day with a friend who saw it um and he had never he had never read the book and he kind of said exactly what I was kind of concerned some people would say. He he said he was really impressed by it, but it didn't land with him um, because he never really felt like he was. He said he uh, the way he he kind of basically was saying that he never really felt like he was super connected to the characters. And I was concerned about that going in. So I want to ask you, Jeff, directly, because this is one of those things where Denis Villeneuve apparently that he was in front of a mirror and told himself when he was 10 years old, if I ever get to direct Dune, I'm going to direct it. It's like his dream. He's been wanting to do this since he was a kid. Loved this book as a kid. Bullshit, 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 yada, yada, yada. One of the ways that this book is so interesting is in the telling. It has this almost, there's a distance between you and the characters. There is like an observational mm. perspective on it. And I think that Denis, whether or not, I'm sure he conscious was aware of it, 
but he brought that kind of perspective to his camera and the way it's told. And I appreciate it because I thought it was really authentic. And it's part of the allure and the kind of mystique of the way Dune reads. And do you feel like that did the movie favors or do you think it did a, dis a disservice, Jeff? Do you feel like well, as someone who had never read the book, did you feel like there was too much of a distance between you and the characters? You know, I've heard somebody else. I heard somebody else say that too. our friends of the Matt and Mark movie podcast were having the same conversation and they were they were thinking that maybe there was too much distance. Um, I, but, and I've been thinking about that, too, because for me, it's mostly about Timmy. Right. So I'm just watching Timmy and it, and it opens with sort of. Zendaya's kind of take on what's happening in Planet Arrakis and with the art, the Harkonnens. This is why I take my fucking notes because I would have never pulled that out of my ass. I was like, you know, the other guys, the Harkonnens. <laughs> oh, yeah. can, can you show up your notes? Can you yeah, show your show notes. Show your 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 notes. And I was, it was so packed. I had people on both sides of me. I was trying to like hide it under my bike helmet. Okay, hold on. Um, <laughs> I Dude, disagree. Do you realize I, I what actually, that would look like to other people sitting in the theater? And it's a yellow pad too. I know. I know. I'm sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> no, I no. I definitely. I know what you're saying. You insinuating motherfucker. <laughs> I know. Get out of here. <laughs> I know this is an adult movie podcast, but this is my life we're talking about here. All right. Okay. Um. I well, don't go Pee Wee Herman in the theaters. I wow. so when, when we get deep. to Timmy, it's his dream. Get the come on, guys. We get to Timmy. Sorry, and, go ahead, and go ahead. So we finally get through the Zendaya thing, and then it, and Timmy wakes up, and and it's the dream thing you see in the trailer where he's clearly dreaming about Zendaya, and she's on the planet he's going to. Duh. Maybe it's uh, a premonition. Maybe he's it's an omen. He's seeing the future. We don't really know. And I. I was wondering, I was worried that Timmy was going to be mopey again, because I've seen enough of him now where I was like, okay, he's great in Call Me By Your Name. He's great in um, a lot of the other movies that we were talking about before we started airing here. Um, but it's like, he's at the point now where he's he's got to start showing some range or people are going to start getting tired of him. It just has nothing to do with Dune. But even in the trailer of this, he plays these characters that are so introspective that it just leaves him kind of like with, this, with the film eyes, of course, which is great. But it's kind of like, what do something. I hope he he can have that room and in this he's struggling with dreams so i was really worried that it was going to be mopey what i would say is that it's confusing but it's meant to be because timmy's character paul is confused because he, he's he's not wise enough to be able to understand mm. or interpret his visions and i got all of that and so i was kind of feeling that disconnect you're saying john but it actually really worked for me because it allowed for perspective it allowed for us to see him from the point of view of what, what are Zendaya's characters, the Fremens and such? Yeah. When he goes to the new planet, we're we can see him as this... Um you know what it would be like? It would be like at the end of the first Star Wars at the medal ceremony. It would be like if you could watch these characters from the point of view of the crowd. But we can't get that perspective because we know the characters too well. And so it was we were able to see Timmy from a lot of different points of view. And I do think that was effective. But him and him and Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac, I, I don't know how you cannot feel connected to those characters. And I'm sure other people are sitting there going, I didn't relate yeah. to the characters. I loved that's I loved crazy Oscar to me. He was All phenomenal. three of them, they were a very clear family that had very I you understood you also will, knew Rebecca Ferguson's you, journey the, the with one not thing, telling him things. And it's it's interesting it that it came across like that. The one thing I will uh, I do know about the book is um, Paul is never in control of his own situation. Exactly. I got that. And, and that was it, cool. it de they definitely communicate that with the distance because he's, he's trying to cope with what's going on and it's just like not there. So you're never really a hundred percent in his court because he's not a hero of his own story. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people felt the disconnect. 
I'm curious to see him grow up too in section two, in part two, now, especially now that there's been distance because he's very skinny and very young, which works for this. And so sometimes the the trouble with arcing this character, because he's very clearly mm. is, you know, this is the hero's journey, right? This is Frodo, but it's also even more so Luke and um, uh, I don't know, Jon Snow or somebody that's clearly, you know, there, there is destiny that is beyond their control and even beyond their birthright to some extent, is clearly what they're playing with here. And he's so skinny and so young looking like this that even in the fight that he wins at the end, spoiler, of course, there's, he's going to be in part two, people, so he wins the fight. But even in the fight at the end, it's like he still seems really young. And so very clearly, it's sort of that he's become a man. He's he's accomplished that. It's now time. He's now he's now ready to begin the journey of claiming this, this um, I guess, birthright. And I'm very curious to see that. I bet you I bet you in I, the future, I, we're going to have two movies back to back that are really going to emphasize I wondered, did well. he get the phone call? It's like, green, part two has been greenlit. Go to the gym. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Because he doesn't, he could be skinny yeah. as fuck as Wonka and he can have that jawline mm. and everything. But the androgyny thing's not going to sell yeah, for, for part two. For gotta, part two, we're putting up. you in Sting's winged underpants. So like, go to the gym, for God's sake. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think he... Uh, yeah. <laughs> It does. Uh, I, I agree with everything you said, and I, I think it did uh, work for me. It also one thing I think they're really trying to push here that is clear and I could see it politically and some people just not wanting this right now. Um, but that kind of distance or or cold kind of thing, whatever you want to call it, I think it made sense for a royal family. Mm. Like oh, they yeah. are these people who are kind yeah. of subject to whatever the emperor. That's there was definitely an emperor another who good take on it. Entire yeah. fucking galaxy. And they're kind of, they don't really have much control over that. Um, it's also a unique scenario that I hope got picked up on that Jessica and um, Duke, uh, Oscar and uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson. Ferguson's character mm. are not technically married. Yeah, that oh, was... Oh, right, sorry. Yeah, that got right. me. So, that like, was a good they're one. they're a partnership and they have a child together. Like, they're clearly they're in love, but, like, there's a whole different issue with her sisterhood, the Bene Jesuit, and the way that that works. So it's a very, not only are they a royal family, they're an unorthodox royal family mm. duke atreides is an unorthodox duke he didn't take it up in the same way that uh his his, his line did in the past so like i don't know everything that was set up about it is interesting to me i i guess i'm not surprised there are a lot of people who have read dune and have been like it just didn't i didn't ever get that that kind of feel good connection that you have it's not written that way um so yeah. i'm never going to be surprised when people react to the movies that way either did um, did anybody but, else um just to Change track slightly. Did anyone else recognize Stellan Skarsgård, or, or is it just me? Unfucking recognizable. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a his voice. Minute, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, is that yeah. a Skarsgård? I was like, yeah, was yeah, like, yeah that's what I voice. said too. It's, I, I thought I was like, which Skarsgård is it? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, is that a Skarsgård? I mean, he was remarkable. We got some Skarsgårds in here. And that is a here. character <laughs> that I don't think anyone has nailed that character yet, and all these other adaptations. How they it's it's very it's written in this you know very specific way about he's he's got these things like, yeah, he's so bad that he like yeah, he floats thought around about that. and he's he, th yeah I mean really there was really a reason cool. for everything in this film yeah like, it was like I love that yeah. it was like Darth Vader meets uh, Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. Uh, yeah, oh come on sure. you can't oh the with the way he was the way he was scratching yeah. his head no, he's right yeah, but damn dude. Yeah, no, they knew exactly. <laughs> and what Darth they Vader, because apparently he can drink fluid when he's underwater, or whatever. The, it does. I don't even care. It was really, really interesting. Damn, when Look, he was up on the wall, the it reminded too. me of um, was it which horror movie is it? Is it um, 
It's not insidious. It's not insidious. Is it insidious where they yeah, have a vision they... and the fucking demon is on the wall? Yeah, yeah. But he's yeah. hiding on the wall after the gas thing, which fucking Oscar Isaac, man, you got to follow through, bro. Come <laughs> on. But when he's up there on the ceiling, I was like, motherfucking cockroach. He's that was so powerful, right? To a cockroach. Yeah. Somebody, to cast, this, yeah, the same wild. guy said he. This game. The same friend of mine said it didn't. He didn't feel like there was any emotional a landing whenever Oscar Isaac does what he does and he didn't I feel never like get the, that with Oscar right. Isaac. I'm, I'm, saying, gonna, call, what? I'm gonna call spoilers now we're going into spoilers territory I, oh, so now we're okay. going into spoilers. yeah yeah no, we, we like we didn't ruin anything really up to this like point but yeah like oh. we're going into spoilers so yeah spoilers, spoilers i thought spoilers. i thought that moment that moment landed for me when oscar sacrifices himself i thought it was extremely emotional and cutting back to sacrifice he's gonna die yeah of course but you know but when they cut back to inside the little tent where um Jessica and Paul Damn. are. I thought that they felt it. You know, so much whether yeah. or not we like it. We have seen a movie before, maybe you've heard of it, called Star Wars, where there is a lot of internal Never heard of it. You know, the force, you know, voiceover. The way they handled it was usually through voiceover. Whenever Luke was sensing something, Obi-Wan would speak in a, a reverbed voiceover to let you know that he was talking to, you know, the ghost of his his teacher. This is a story that I'm curious to see how they keep going because as uh as Paul Atreides evolves into the Lisan Al Gaib, the this thing that they that the Fremen were calling him, so much of this story already in this one, you could tell with the dreams and everything, is internal. Just how a lot of novels mm. are. A lot of it is happening inside his And that's head. what makes it so hard to adapt. That's why it's so hard to adapt. And I think yeah. Denis is in the right place. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really re- I responded really well to this. I thought not only was it authentic, so the book lover was satisfied in me, but I thought cinematically there are a few very key elements. This thing called the voice that is, you know, in a novel, that kind of thing can work wonders because it's in your head. You can imagine whatever you want. How do you make mm. that cinematic without it sounding cheesy? It has to be external. It has to be, mm-hmm. you know, an action that can be heard. It's a voice. And I thought that I thought it worked. Did that, was that cheesy I, to you guys? Question, a question for you, though. No. Um, do you think this is going to get an Oscar for production design? Dave with the Oscars. I'm usually the Oscar one like, out of the seriously, group Seriously, like... Um, it should. Unbelievable. Every, yeah. Dude. They shot most of this in Budapest, I think, and it was just... I was at, I saw a screening a couple but weeks ago. not even that. The CG environments, like the massive hyperspace dude. gates and stuff like that. Like, I, yeah. it, I don't know whether it was just because that was one of the ones that what the shots that was in IMAX, but the, the size of that thing was communicated perfectly. Like those everything things were was just amazing. Framed and I love that they didn't explain them. I love that, yeah, they, that we yeah. got it. You know, we know what's happening. We can tell. Like yeah. the, the implications, the way they used implications were so wonderful. Dude, and Dave, like the, was, the, right, the cities, the thropters, like the every, like the, all the crafts, yeah, like the mining craft, yeah. everything. Dude, the first, the major, the major attack on the city, those explosions looked incredible, dude. Yeah. Especially yeah. that one shot where the explosion comes up and wipes the frame, you know. Yeah. See, oh my god! Also, also, like not a lot, of, like not a lot happens in the first. I want to say half an hour of this film, and yeah, it doesn't feel slow at all. Like they no, it get, still feels like an epic yeah, movie. They're, yeah, they're getting you in. They get you getting to know these people. They're setting up, the setting the scene. They're giving you what you need to know, and mm-hmm. like, be, but they're doing this on this beautiful world uh, that is comparatively to or like the opposite yeah. of where they're going. And you've seen both, and they kind of bounce back and forwards, oh. and it it just it really like the whole thing is very slick production wise. Well, and 
and kudos was, to them for for doing the setup at the beginning with the the Zendaya Arrakis kind of thing. So you could see some scale. You can see planets. You can see the enormous mm. ships. You can see the Harkonnen kind of firepower. You can yeah. see that. You want so the Harkonnen the next, to the die. Next, it's like, so then yeah. the next movie, yeah, then they the next put part you of the right movie the place could, be, to be. could be a little slow while Timmy, while Timothy Chalamet and, and Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson, they're trying to figure stuff out. I also like uh, this. So this movie definitely, you know, brings up the white savior syndrome because they go to this planet and say, we got you. We'll save everything. Of course, they get fucking shelled and ramshacked and they didn't want to go in the first place. So it's a little bit of a play on that. And I'm sure that the book addresses that. I think somebody mentioning to the attack you're talking about with the city, I kind of love the monotoneness of it. It's in a desert. So that's realistic. You're not going to have as yeah. many colors as you would have elsewhere. But somebody noticed that like it was confusing. They didn't know who was who in the battle. And I was like, what is wrong with why? I don't mean to complain because I like them. Yeah, so the guys they're brutally killing they everyone. Are. But, but the question <laughs> the is, why do, we, why do we need battles to be clear? It's a fucking battle. Yeah. It's a war and they're getting attacked. I am thrilled when I'm sitting there. going Now, of course, like the Game of Thrones burning the fucking city thing was, that was like, okay, this is too bad. I don't know what's going on. But in this particular battle, I'm like, this is, it's confusing as fuck. Like, I, I yeah. love the confusion because I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? And I'm trying to figure it out rather than sitting there going, I don't even know who's dying. And it's like, well, the implications are big. So I better see this thing through. I thought it was great. Yeah, I completely this agree. Is gonna I, have I a, I'm glad I'm having this conversation because <laughs> now it's having a lasting impact yeah. on me. No, no, no. Yeah. I think it's important. I, I mean, and, and I, it reads I, that way too. Like they're not fighting orcs. You know, it's, it's they're not right. fighting stormtroopers. Like the whole point of this this guy, who Frank Herbert, who wrote this, was in politics in the U.S. government, pretty high up. I can't remember what position he had. I think he was in the Department of Agriculture at some point. He studied different languages, and he, he prepped for this book for over a decade, studying ancient languages out of the Middle East and trying to understand like old, uh, very ancient like military tactics and stuff like that. So he was really into the geopolitics of it all. And inside that level of geopolitics is, is a purposeful commentary on the confusion of this strive for power. Anyone who remembers trying to watch Game of Thrones for the first few episodes, you're like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Like there's just, you know, and you kind of have to get your grip. And the only important thing that happens, not the only, but like the whole reason that I don't mind that battle being a little confusing if you don't understand what's happening is that the only truly important thing is what happens to the family. That's all that actually Mm. matters is the situation that it puts the Atreides in at the end of it. Everybody is trying to get that power back. Anyone could yeah. probably guess that, all right, the Harkonnens are going to try to get Dune back, but now the Emperor has a stake in it because apparently he had something you know, going on with Paul Vendetta, but he didn't necessarily want the Harkonnens to be back in that power. Ball, so now the, there's going to the be Dune, more confusion. Uh, yeah, it's... it's, it's yeah. Uh, See, I didn't mind that is, at all. What like, did you guys I, think I, about... I would say, like, just, like at, at the risk of summing up early, but like, you are definitely missing something if you don't see this in the cinema. Like if you just oh watch it on HBO, it's it's still good, but like because my wife HBO watched it because sure. uh, she's she's at the point now where the cinemas are getting a little crowded. She's not quite comfortable yet going back, which is just fine. Packed, yeah. That's absolutely fine. If you're not comfortable going to a theater, watch this on HBO. Great, but I will tell you, this is made for a cinema. And we did a really Definitely, cute thing. Yeah. We, we we started the like I, I was like at one p.m. start the movie, which is when I mine was starting. Because you get that half-hour pre-show bullshit, and oh, uh, yeah. so oh, yeah, yeah which is, so she watched it at the same time as me, and I like I think she was about two minutes ahead of me or something. So when I the when the credits rolled, I looked at my phone and I had this text message like, "Oh my fucking god, this is worse than a TV series. They need to make the next one now." All in caps, yeah. like <laughs> it was yeah. it was great. So like she there had a- the same reaction to me about it, and she's not sci-fi. 
like hardcore also, sci-fi. She's, look, there's yeah. also something that I think is um, that is essential to this story, which is very difficult, I think, to convey. Um, we have seen a, re- a, a little movie called Lawrence of Arabia pull it off. But this, this, the power well, and mystique and allure of a desert, um, yeah. the reveal of Dune, when that ship opens up and the, the white, the light hits their yeah. eyes, just the way that it is introduced to you. That was the first level. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is interesting. You know, he had been studying it through the holograms and stuff. Getting to see it, that was really powerful to me. The way well, they, they set deliberately it up once they got there. Stuff. Yeah. But when he <laughs> and Rebecca Ferguson, when he and Jessica are finally stuck out in the desert, even after this amazing sequence where they go rescue people and after a giant sandworm, is gone, that's fun. But when they are stuck and they think they're almost to a place of refuge and they climb a dune and there's just mm-hmm. more endless desert in front of them. Yeah. This feeling you get that yeah. he like, belongs oh, Australia. there. Is, but it's not just the deadly. You know, a lot of times in movies we see that and we just think, oh, this is a, a just an obstacle. It's scary. They're trapped. They're going to die. They did a good job of walking that line where it has to be. It has to seem as an obstacle. But to Paul, it has to seem as his Eden, like he has found where he's supposed to be. And I felt mm. like cinematically, I felt I felt it completely. Like I cannot wait to see a movie set in a desert. That's that's crazy. Like that's yeah. hard. All the, you know. I love, I love, it's kind of turning into the sand people from the Star Wars, you know, at the end with the, when they finally actually get to the rock structures I mean, where they are. But the, the people yeah. are, it's, it's, they're so cool. The way they, they hide in the sand and then pop up. Like, I think that's such a fucking cool thing. Again, they didn't have to explain it. You just see it. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's awesome. Yep. Um, if I have one actual, like, thoughtful, that's not, what am I saying? If I, if I have one critique about the Fremen, though, we see, um, Javier Bardem's character, which, you know, when you have a star in a movie, you know that it's important. So I, I didn't know exactly, was he royalty in the Fremen? Like, how does that kind of governance work? And then when we see them later, I, I kind of was like expecting, I didn't expect just like a band of, like a, 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 they, were, they seemed like bandits. And I was kind of like, I, I kind of had higher hopes for that. So I'm still a little confused, even though on the whole, yeah. the way that they were sold, the Fremen, when, when Jason Momoa was talking about them, I was like, these people seem awesome. And we clearly haven't gotten into that yet. No, you'll get but that my in part introduction two. to them, my introduction to them is kind of like, uh, like even fucking Thrones, man, even when they're like, welcome to the King Beyond the Wall and you see the city and then it's like cut out. Like, I think they set up that better than, than Dune did. Dune has a lot of ground to make up for me as far as like the next journey with I mean, he nailed his appearance. Like, he's in it for, what, three minutes? Maybe. Javier Bardem? Yeah, maybe 10 minutes. His first one, but the second part, again, it just seemed a little... I mean, that's that's setting uh, up for what's to come. You haven't haven't seen them as a society. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear you say that. Because they are basically not like Bedouin, but probably closer to like Bedouin than they are to a a rooted civilization because they do move depending on... And you'll learn more about that. My only critique about this movie... Is that just as a, a, a you know lover of the book? Um, I thought he was going to maybe pull a Peter Jackson, and I don't want to give anything away. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it. But uh, the way Peter Jackson ends the uh, two towers by taking the battle that's technically at the beginning of the the end of the next book in the six book Lord of the Rings anthology, um, Helm's Deep is not actually at the end of that book, but he knew cinematically it was like, this is such a high point. Let's let's go for it. And it's fucking remarkable. What a good choice. There is something that happens pretty soon after they take Paul and Jessica into their thing that is a Mm. huge high point. And I thought he was going to end with that or at least getting into that. They definitely definitely went full empire. 
This yeah, is the empire really ending. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is an empire ending. And I did not care for Zendaya's last line. I just didn't need it. I didn't need it to be that literal. Maybe they could have used it for the trailer. It's only the beginning. Or this is only the beginning. Oh, yeah. But I just, you know, I knew it was. Yeah, of course, we're coming back. You got part two. Like, Dune's going to, you know, we know. I like, so that, that frustrated yeah. me a little bit. I was like, damn it. I wish you wouldn't have said I did, <laughs> I did like Timothy's. I did like Timothy as Paul's last line, though. I think it's his last line where his mother is like, I don't know if we should be doing this. We should think about this. Of course, he just killed somebody. So it's like, oh, great. We have options. No, 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 no. You're <laughs> yeah, in this no. now, dude. Yeah. But, but I do love that he was like, he to me, he, with confidence, says, this is where I must be. I've seen it. And he turns around and walks away. Yeah. And Rebecca Ferguson, who has been skeptical of his ability to understand his powers, understand his dreams, the whole movie, she knows, not just because he won the battle, but she goes, okay, he, he's right. He knows yeah. this and I have to trust the, him the, and I have to follow. So he is already becoming that, which he is. One of the most you know, interesting yeah. things I found, uh, because like I said, my wife and I watched it at the same time, but separately, we came home and we discussed it and we had two different interpretations of what the visions meant. And it was, uh, which, it was which, which very vision? interesting. All of them put together all because they're together, they're all yeah. they're all a piece of the same puzzle. And, and they're all in the future. It was like it was like so two. We had up, two very different interpretations of what it was guiding him to and how it was guiding him to it. And it, it yeah. was it was funny because like I I got where they went and she went she took a more literal route. So I, I feel like a, some people might come away confused about that. Mm. But they're like they're meant to be confusing. <laughs> Don't you smirk, John? That smug, you fucking smug. I'm as a fucking smug, cool. smug smirk that my no, our audience can't cool. even see. Hmm. I'm excited for people to see what happens because it's it's not quite what you think, and it's yeah. it's a good it's it's a good. Term. Maybe when I finish grad school, I can actually read a, a gigantic. It's book like yeah, it's like a 700 page book. Um, uh, I, I did want to ask you guys one last question. Oh, the uh, did you feel that the the way he filmed like all of the action just in general, as small as the fight scene at the end, mm-hmm. just two people fighting and uh, the big attack. Did you, do you guys feel like that was, um, I've heard a couple of people say they were, they were kind of bored. <laughs> like, I don't really, I don't know how else to say it. And I haven't really read any critics say anything specifically well, about those, that. Those, those people were overcritical fucks and they should never go to the movies again. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's just the lack of the cut, cut, cut thing? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. The, the, I thought it was like the, the the one-on-one combat. That, but also the the giant combat. I mean, the, the, all, all the fight scenes uh, when Jason was fighting a bunch of people, kind of by himself, oh, or that just was the cool. big attack. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. No, because I, I, no, Jason Momoa knew he was going to die. He knew it. Timmy already told him he was going to die, and he he made that choice. And I thought I thought it was good. Yeah, I I mean I I didn't think I think everything was as as big or as small as as intended. Like and yeah, it I think was, so too. again, it was a choice for a reason. Like that fight was kept small and contained because it's just two people, and you're you're in it. By that point, I was like, because I like having not read the book, I had no idea how which way that was going to go. Yeah. The fight at the end, like the especially battle, because was, they, they was give like, you yeah, those like those sweet visions. Yeah. Again, just like in the book, they yeah. handled that so well. Just like in the book, there are so many like mantras and things that happen in their head that he learns mm-hmm. from his mother, who's a part of the Bene Jesuit. It is like a witch, a witch. Uh, it's a line of witches. There's really no yeah. else to say it. They have a lot of political power, but they're also mystics. And she's teaching him all these things throughout his life. And now he finally gets to this place. And whenever he uses them, it's kind of like, use the force, Luke. But he says it inside his head in the book. So like that vision he has about... Um, 
I did feel like that, uh, like this was a good example. There were a lot of the voiceover things that were happening inside his head that I don't think you were supposed to understand every word because I could not understand every word. I knew what they were saying because I remember the quotes from the books, Mm. but I bet a lot of people didn't know. But that was a perfect example of when he envisioned himself dying. And basically the quote is something like, you must die to To, be reborn. Yes. You know, to live again. Never heard of that. And I just thought that was, I mean, I thought that was super effective. If you had never read the book or anything, oh, I no. think people thought off he was Harry gonna, Potter? something was going to happen there. <laughs> wait, when yeah. was the, wait, how did Dune rip off a book? <laughs> Dune came first. Yeah. Damn it, JK. <laughs> Man, I, I just, I had a really good time. I think I even if you do have any issues, yeah. like I'm definitely going to watch this again. Jeff. Me too. Go back to your very first comment. I know what you mean about i don't know if it's going to land and last with me as much i know what you mean by saying that i have a feeling we might feel very differently by the end of the whole thing well i think of course. i think the yeah. way he ended this one really was very empire and i think he might i don't know if he regrets it i don't know if there's any critique about it it definitely didn't it made you want to watch the next one but it yeah it, it I, came I close to not giving right you a complete story with this one i think they could have gone a little bit further I kind of wanted them to end on a gigantic epic high note as opposed to the yeah. small duel, yeah. basically. But whatever. I'm and hopefully super with, with more time spending with them, I can figure out a little bit more about um, just what it's like to live in that in the worlds that they're in. And they just greenlit a series called Dune the Sisterhood. So I think it's going to be about the Bene Gesserit line, mm. which is his mother. And he's behind that as well. So I think we're about to see Dune yeah. explode and turn HBO into a bunch Max of crap. Is sucking up everything they can. <laughs> yeah, he also just got greenlit yeah. to direct a remake. He's just not, he's just only yeah. going to make four hour movies from now on, you guys. Fucking Cleopatra. That well, movie yeah. independently sunk an entire studio into the ground when that movie was made in the 60s. And one tour guide. Taylor. And one tour guide. Somebody fucking died on that, didn't they? No, no, she but didn't I mean, die. Uh, she didn't die, but uh, she was giving them a tour on the weekend and they, the milk bath was still, they didn't empty the milk bath and it oh, had no. congealed into a solid like cheese type thing oh god and damn it she mistook it for a marble floor and stepped on it and promptly disappeared from fucking sight oh wow i bet she smells it's, it's like do you, delicious. Do, you tip, do you tip after that do you get some crackers what do you do how do you who goes in who dives in like no, you're, you in your you're in your own you're in your my last thought my last thought on that is that i'm a huge fan of denny and i can't wait to see what he does he's probably my favorite big director now but yeah. i really 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 and looking forward to when he takes a step back from these monster films and makes another Prisoners or another smaller intimate I loved drama. Prisoners. Like, it'll be fun to see him go back and forth. Anyway, I, that was my I'm first, really glad you that, guys like Prisoners was my first Alamo Drafthouse uh, experience. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Wow, what an intense what a, what fucking an movie choice. to watch <laughs> with a beer in your hand, like with people like eating nachos around you and shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking intense as yeah. hell. Yeah. The nachos slowed right the fuck down, I can tell you. It's a, Guys, I watched two. There are two of Denny's uh, shorts that are available on YouTube and Vimeo. I suggest watching them. Those are pretty awesome short films. I did not know uh, this. Next Floor and Fast Forward Rewind. One of them is like from 2000 when he's like 20, 21, really mm-hmm. young. And Next Floor is right before he made his second big feature. Uh, and it's in like 2008. So right before he started exploding. Really, uh, that guy's a vision. Like he's mm-hmm. he's got it going. Anyway. How much okay. fun was this? Yeah, I feel like uh, just out of posterity, I should really just uh, hit that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just because we went the whole we, way through the fucking I mean, episode. God, yeah. We're still drinking, though. Yeah. I'm, yeah, still drinking. All right, people.
Well, it is that time of the episode where we give you our recommendations, things that we have been watching since our last episode. John, it's been two weeks for you since we missed you last it week. It has. I have a few. We, if you want me to go first. John, yeah. what you been watching? I got to see some really excellent screenings. I will begin with a movie called Luzu that won uh, Best Actor at Sundance this past year. Uh, really powerful independent film uh, set in the island of Malta about a fisherman. I know that sounds like super artsy, but it is like really character oriented. It's an excellent yeah, movie. I suggest you watch it. Yeah. I think it went on Prime. I think Prime or Hulu bought it. Definitely oh, worth cool. watching. Really powerful. Uh, I saw a documentary called In the Same Breath that um, a excuse me, <laughs> Chinese-American uh, documentarian she uh, got very famous several years ago for making um, One Child Nation, that really impact, intense oh. uh, documentary about China's policy in the past with the one child. She made this. She was coincidentally visiting her family in China in January of 2020. So you know where I'm going with that. She basically mm. covered from the beginning China. And it turns the movie turns into how China dealt with it. And she came back over here and how America dealt with it. And she got to do a Q&A with us. It was really fun. Both of the countries just really made some terrible, awful mistakes in their own yeah. authoritarian or democratic republic ways. It was a really interesting perspective. Good movie. That'll be streaming soon, I think, on HBO. And I finally, I've been looking forward to this one. I saw Scott Cooper and Guillermo del Toro's Antlers. That's, oh, I think that's yeah. coming to theaters soon, too. That was a really fun it's, watch. I think it's out now, actually. Yeah, I think you should go check it out. It's like a fun little contained horror fable, just like Guillermo loves to do. He produced yeah. it. I think he may have written a draft earlier on, but Scott Cooper director of black mass uh in the furnace yeah. out of the furnace i'll watch i'll watch guillermo open an envelope quite frankly like <laughs> honestly uh, yeah scott, scott cooper's great it's a carrie russell is awesome in it carrie russell's in it? great in it she's That's, the lead yeah, yeah great all right i mean i mean check it out Antlers. dave yeah. what you been watching i finished midnight mass Oh, uh holy fuck dude i did not there's a twist i did not see it coming I, I i called what the what was going on in the first episode basically i was like it's this and i did not see the twist coming and then it finishes on a, a really ambiguous note which i kind of like um that was that was good and then of course halloween week so i went back to a couple of rewatches. uh nice. and sure. uh, uh i started it i kicked it off with elvira mistress of the dark and I made it about halfway through the film. So. Mm. <laughs> oh my God Almighty! Dude. Okay, no, seriously, respect because she she coined that bit and she has stuck with it. And like, she's still turning out stuff. There's a reunion special coming. I was going to say, like, like this how year. did that happen? How did she? She's how did she, she, de- get- she developed the character on a on a on a minor network, and then it just yeah, it got was picked like, it, wasn't up. Wasn't it like literally to- like the? She was what, literally introing movies like like what's Joe the, the Wayne's and, World yeah. the Wayne's World uh, cable you know what they call in our local cable channels and like public um, access public access she had yeah. a public access channel didn't she she just talked about movies I don't know if it was public access but yeah basically she just she just introed movies and then paid the shit out of them after they finished like who That's who'd so make good. a show out of that honestly That's <laughs> so good. Jeff how are you That's funny uh, I watched Chappelle I abstained Oh I yeah I watched it too and i haven't I, watched that yet i liked it i'll I, say it i thought it was funny 
it was funny. I do think it was a little hurtful. I do think that he crossed the line and he wasn't, it wasn't a pure comedy sketch. So I'll stand for that. So even though, even though comedians should have a little bit of rope because of free speech, I do think that this was more of a treatise than it was a pure comedy special. And I think some of the things he said, like gender is a fact, go fuck yourself. Some of those things, it was like, was it, you know, I think he could have phrased it better. It, 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 some of it did seem harmful. Is it a case of I got away with it last time, I'm going to kick it up a notch? No, his premises were good. His premises were really, 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 really good. Okay, fine. We'll talk about it. His prem- his two main premises were Because I haven't seen about- this yet. His two main premises were about DeBaby, the artist who had m- killed somebody in a Walmart <laughs> in North Carolina, and his career all Walmart seemed to improve because of it. Walmart is not notoriously deadly. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Uh, uh, it's, it's just comical. Anyway, so he killed somebody at Walmart in North Carolina, and his, that was like before his career took off. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh my God, he's legit. And then he said some homophobic things, and then he was canceled, lost sponsorship. So Okay, wait, 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 like, wait, wait. He killed someone at Walmart, but got canceled for being homophobic. That's the, the first, premise number one. The first one. one didn't do it. So I think these are important because obviously the, the storylines are, are, you know, about the walkout and stuff. And so oh. that's important to know. That, that that's what all of this started with. The second thing was about um, Dave approaching some some gay uh, fans. I thought he thought they were fans, but they ended up trying to rile him up. And then at at some point, this white gay man tried to call the cops on him, and he said, "Everybody's a minority until they realize that they can use their whiteness against black people." And so that was the second premise. So these dueling premises of where does Ooh, that leave him? That is some dueling so complex, right? All of the, yeah. all of the anti-trans stuff. He was like, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa I've never said anti-trans things in the past before this episode. However, some of the jokes in this episode, specifically one bathroom joke, where it made it seem like he was genuinely like scared of of, of trans people in the bathroom, and it was funny. It was kind of funny the way he did it, but at the same time. I don't think it was in good taste. I mean, and then he and then he made another joke. Um, well, it was really about J.K. Rowling, where he said gender is a fucking fact. Kid, don't tell me it's not. What he didn't say was, can we at least respect uteruses? But no, he just said gender is a fact. Go fuck yourself. And so it seemed like a lecture, and it did seem like it was kind of mean. So even though free speech is a real thing, I I understand why people mm. are pissed off. I mean, I know stand up stand up comedy. You you play a character. As such, it's he, well, he yeah. was playing himself. Okay, he was one hundred percent playing right. himself. And yeah. again, it was so more it, of a lecture. That's, that's a that's a break like of the rules. Company. You kind of you kind of it's there's, there has to be a separation there. John, do you want to weigh in? Um, <laughs> you can pass. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, I know this is a hairy yeah, issue. A I think one. he ultimately yeah. built to the thesis that he was like, if you don't think I know what I'm, you know, I know what I was saying, and he did acknowledge that he is that he is dealing with his own version of trans and homophobia. Um, but he was basically saying, if you thought that I was only talking about that and you didn't realize that I was really just saying, fuck all white people, <laughs> because this <laughs> yes, has turned yeah, into yeah, them, yeah, then you're that's a fucking fair. idiot. And then I just will say, I'll just come back to uh, push against the the bathroom comment. In that same sequence, he built to basically saying, I guess a part of me is uh, a feminist. He had made that joke earlier. And I do agree with JK, because the year that. Um, damn it. What's her name? Uh, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on air. Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn, Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner, Jenner won Woman of the Year. He was yeah. like the year that Caitlyn, you know, Caitlyn Jenner transitioned. She won Woman of the Year. He's like, can you fucking imagine, like how some women felt about that? That's better than all you bitches here in Detroit. He was in Detroit. That's better than every woman on the earth. That man transitioned that year, and she won Woman of the Year. So I have to think yeah. he, he was making. That's, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I get it. That is, that, no, that is that is like whitewashing almost. I yeah, mean, man I'm saying all this because I think people, I think I think it's worth watching, but I, I also think it's okay to say I think I think a couple of them were 
not the kind. I mean, of you definitely try to also agree. When you're doing this stuff. I also and... feel like that is a. We are totally. We are totally in our right as audience members to feel like some things that a comedian says are um, are uncouth or pushed it a little bit too far to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that somebody that accomplished and that intelligent with their craft don't doesn't know what they're doing and they're only offensive is equally or dangerously more ignorant. I would say that. Okay. There you go. There you yeah, go. I, so I, I haven't seen it. I can't judge it. So I'll, I'll watch it this week. I get back to you. I saw, I saw Peter Berg's documentary about um, Wayne Gretzky getting traded from the Ottawa, the Ottawa, no, not Ottawa, from how much, the Edmonton Oilers to the How much uh, explosions in the sky music was playing in the background <laughs> of that documentary, dude? <laughs> All right. Peter Berg. It was just an excuse for him to go golfing with Wayne Gretzky, I think, because it, it, it did seem like he phoned it in a little bit. But anyway, all right. Did, Gre- did Wayne People- Gretzky's son-in-law show up on the course? Because... That would have been uh, uh, his son-in-law did not show up in the chorus, yeah. nor did his daughter. Hey, oh, okay. So here we go, people. It is that is our Dune, Dune. episode. Wow. Next week, next week we're doing a movie that Dave has been looking forward to for quite some while. Isn't that right, Dave? Oh yeah. Doing last night. Fuck yeah, last people. night. Yeah. Soho, baby. Bring right. it. Bring it for Halloween. All right. So until then, we'll see you soon, film fans. Ooh. Ooh.